0: This week we speak to Simon Brennan from Engagehub. Um, Engagehub do some really cool, interesting, innovative things in the customer customer engagement space and uh, they have been for a number of years now. It goes back way to the early 80s and adopting I mean, SMS as the heart of communication stacks. Simon talks to us about um, some really interesting, cool solutions that they've actually rolled out during the pandemic for their retail clients. Lifting the lid on some of that and, and what they've been doing across sectors such as banking, finance, really to help those brands in, in those spaces innovate and, and, and dramatically improve customer service engagement and, and offering. Um, Simon's really, makes it abundantly clear data uh, and what you can do with it, getting more and more important. And uh, so to have the chance to speak to Simon, about what, what the art of the possible is, what we're engaged, who are able to bring to the party, turning that data into some tangible uh, really, really solutions that they can help drive businesses forward with. Fantastic, so, so thank you Simon and, and enjoy.
1: I mean, in terms of Engage Hub, overall, from the, um, from the different parts of the group um, to where we are now, we've been, we've been trading for 30 years. We've, we've got a global reach, and I'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a short while. Um, there's a strong presence, particularly in Europe. Uh, London HQ, large office in Dublin as well. Then we've got operations across LATAM and Asia. We work with some partners as well uh, as well across um, the Middle East and out in Australia. And I mean, in terms of transactions, and this is something I'll elaborate on a little bit with. So we process around about a billion transactions uh, each month or over over a billion transactions. So... Sector-wise, as well, we've got four core sectors that we focus on. And when I say focus on, we've customers beyond these sectors, but it's more our kind of marketing effort and our initial. If we've got a core sector and a key target customer, it would initially probably fall into one of these, and and they are retail, logistics, financial services, and telcos. The telcos more traditionally would be like mobile network operators we work with quite a lot, both um, UK, Europe, and LATAM in particular. And it, a fifth sector, if we were going to have it, we do quite a bit in energy and utilities. So that's, that's a bit about where we work. In terms of what we do, so we're basically our solutions are all about driving enhanced automation. And we sit within – we've got two core areas that we focus upon for customers – there is um, there is op- provided providing operational efficiencies, so our, our technology is basically um often integrating with customers' systems and solutions solutions to um, drive engagement through some of our channels and i 'll touch upon the channels in a moment. The other one is all around again our technology fitting in with our customer operations often integrated to try and enhance or improve. The customer experience. So, how how we do that is, say, so we we've got a number of channels that we can provide within our suite, and they, they include voice um, from traditional inbound IVR to a more recent next generation IVR, where we can offer conversational IVR, where there's natural language processing that underpins that. And in essence, what we're doing is converting speech from text, running it through our NLP engine with some artificial intelligence there and basically driving a customer journey from that point. We can offer outbound voice service. We can also do channel-wise SMS messaging, MMS, email, push notifications. We've got some other messaging apps. So the likes of WeChat out in Asia, Facebook messenger, uh, we've got uh, web messaging, and the web messaging is more a um, if you think of a, a mobile landing page within most most often an SMS message, but it could be in a it could be driven through a messenger message app. Uh, we could also do message via WhatsApp RCS, which is rich communication services kind of um, next gen SMS, and then we've got web chat capabilities. So we've got. Web widgets we can offer, or we can inter- interact as a layer above uh, live or web chat solutions, and basically drive the logic as to what happens above the customer layer. So, and I would say to, that's quite important in terms of the customer layer. We do that across all of the channels. In that, sometimes we will provide a single or multiple channels to a customer. Occasionally, we don't provide any of the channels. We we've got the business rules engine that sits on top of their channels and basically drives the intelligence behind what happens and what goes where. Um, and sometimes I say that that can drive an action and it may not even be sent out by, by one of our channels. It could be by a third party channel that the customers are already using.
0: Okay. And so when you say a billion transactions, then it's a billion of a mix of SMS, WhatsApp, Messenger, all that good stuff. You a billion things happening on your, your stuff. It is.
1: It, it, yeah. it is, yeah. In, it, interactions are, they're, they're a um, combination of the channels, the actual physical message going out, and interactions within our um, logic-building engine where, I say, occasionally it may not result in an outbound communication, could actually yeah. be a, a, a ping back to a third-party or customer system. Via an API that changes or updates some data within a customer record. So, as an example, it could be something like a um, a consent, a customer consent. We run consent management services for some customers where we've got a front end interface and basically the the data that the agents. And the reason we do that is um, we we have some clients who have multiple different systems that are in single silos due to legacy systems, and actually they would probably have to go into. It could be anything up to 10 individual systems to update customer consent across all of those systems. So we're almost a layer above that then appends back to the customer system. So again, that would be another example of an interaction, but without actual physical message necessarily going out to a customer.
0: And it sounds like to me then that it kind of there's no, there doesn't need to be limit from a customer perspective on how they look at working with you guys, but, you know, they, there's no, no idea too stupid that you couldn't actually have a look at helping them deliver because of how broad that is and, and, and the intelligence behind it. Um, yeah. it. Is, is that a fair statement?
1: I think so. There's obviously key areas and key customers and sectors that we focus on because, you know, they drive more opportunity. They probably have more challenges that we've fixed in the past. But yeah in, in in real terms there there isn't so i mean outside of the channel so what's it i went into the channel and gave a brief overview we've kind of got four key areas we um we work within one is it is the channel play another one is data in in general terms so that really feeds into your your question about it, is there any restriction or is there anything we couldn't work with them because It is data we are working with, and often what we're doing with that data is we're collecting it and trying to make sense out of it. And by that, we've run quite a few digital transformation programs where what we've been doing is capturing data from multiple different systems or sources, orchestrating that data, often connecting it, and then driving an interaction or an action off the back of that. And again, that could be, a message going out to a customer it could be something internal or it could be updating a system and that that data is often harnessed and um, it, as to what happens with it, that action is driven by one of the other four key pillars within our solution set, which is our Synapse Business Rules engine. And that ultimately is the brain that sits behind the technology and um, that's what builds out our, our propositions often. And then as well as Synapse, the, the fourth one, which we've delivered more recently, and is um, it, it's really it's almost been a game changer to for us to a degree in that it's, it's enhanced existing customer solutions and brought out new opportunities. But um, it's been disruptive in some of the market areas we play as our customer journey tracking tool, which is probably the missing MI piece and analytics piece that we didn't have as to what was happening with everything else within our world we've we've always had a fairly substantial reporting suite but there wasn't really an analytics dashboard that really harnessed the um, the, the mi and built enabled our customers to build any intelligence from that and change and optimize customer journeys so that's we 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 launched that it's just over a year ago now um it's probably in beta for a, a little while before that but been built out fairly substantially since that point, and many existing customers and people we're speaking to seem to be really quite taken with it.
0: Sounds good. Sounds amazing, in fact. Um, have you got um, I, I obviously um, keep commercial sensitivities well under wraps? So it's kind of talking the round, but about how how it's two things actually how how your your customer base has been applying some of those tools and solutions um, over the last year or so. But then, if it's okay with you, have some of them done different things in the last eight to 10 weeks as the world's changed? And it would be interesting to see the the, the 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 evolution and the speed of the evolution around some of those services your your customers have had to deploy and potentially redeploy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Well, I think just first of all, going on the customer journey tracking. So I think... Clearly, we, we didn't know that what, um, what's happened in the last two to three months was going to happen. I don't think anyone could have foresaw it going in this way. Um, it almost seems like the world is a totally different place since the start of the year. Well, I guess it, I guess that's because it is. But I think having the customer journey tracking tool and the analytics and the ability to get a real holistic overview to what is happening within customer interactions Either on a single channel or a, a multiple channel uh, has been invaluable for us. And the other good thing that kind of was built out fairly quickly after we delivered delivered it initially was the fact that we thought, well, but not everyone is going to want to use our channels necessarily when they're when they're doing their customer engagements. So we don't want to basically shut ourselves off from potentially working with someone because. They've already got a established channel. It might be, they might already have established email player uh, that's built and integrated into all of their systems. So just moving to us wouldn't be commercially viable. Mm -hmm. And um, what we have built out is integration tools so that we can capture channel from offline, um, uh, sorry, capture data from offline channels. So we don't even need to be doing things such as the email, potentially the voice service, or even the SMS, but we can still plug all the data into the customer journey tracking tool so we can do engage hub provided channels plus third-party channels so having that all together really does give that true cross-channel holistic perspective as to what's happening within the customer world and i think particularly going back to what's changed in the last eight ten weeks particularly during the more recent times i think from some of our customers who are using it it's really highlighted where there are um maybe points within their customer journeys where there's significant drop-offs or where there's optimizations that are required within there to improve basically their changing customer environment due to certainly for some sectors the sheer unprecedented volumes of contacts they're receiving and, and how they handle that so it's it's helped our customer have you know more a cleaner view as to what's happening within their their end customer world
0: it's really interesting isn't it because actually what we're saying is that from this pandemic as as horrible and tragic as it's been there's a lot of learning happened and a lot of good new things will happen and stay in place because of it so the things you know the the the, the capability you you're providing and the I also think important here is the organizations you're working with clearly had an appetite to learn and try new things i suspect there's plenty of businesses out there that haven't been quite so uh, open uh, with their, yeah. their mindset um, but the ones that have have actually probably got new ways of working and new cadence to bring in and keep than they have even realized they'd have for the start of this year
1: I- yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. I think from some discussions I've been having with with my clients in certain sectors, they've been very um, rich is probably not quite the word, but they've been very um, they've been very specific about what they can do when um, certainly within their product and tech roadmaps and environments. And clearly ensuring that nothing happens within key events. So retail being one key sector, um, everything is around peak trading. So from Black Friday onwards, so the tail end of November till probably about the first week of January, there's almost a shutdown. Mm -hmm. And historically, um, from discussions we have with our, our customers in that sector, I think once you get to October, not a lot happens unless it's nearly finished. Um, or it's absolutely essential for peak but the planning for that side tends to start you know probably three four months before then well actually it starts a lot sooner than that but i mean in terms of the work and the programs there's a build-up to that point and there's almost a distinct cut-off and the the opinion has always been well we can't do anything in peak what if something went wrong how would we handle that but but actually i think what is told them and you know, we have done it with some of our retail clients where we've, you know, very, very quickly mobilized changes either to existing tech or actually added new functionality to deal with the unprecedented volumes that they're currently experiencing. Um, but I think what it's taught them is, well, hang on a minute. We, we normally build up to peak for maybe three or four months. We say we can't do anything in peak. We've literally, we, we've gone from mobilizing, homeworking for probably of our office and actually we've deployed urgent technology in our busiest ever times, you know, in in less than a week or two. So maybe the consideration now is, well, everything we thought was right because that's what we've always done. Maybe we don't need to be quite so rigid about that in future because we can do things more and quicker if we need to. To ensure that actually it helps and supports our business improvement and our customer engagement and ultimately the experience our customers are having during those busier times.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and it's a funny. It's reminding me of uh, this is right, right at the start. Um, I had to, I had to call a call center, but we shall I name no names. And I was, I was, gen- I had to call them because um, I needed to make a payment because I'd basically I'd forgotten to make the payment. It, we live on a new build estate and every year we have to pay a management fee to the people that look after some of the, the park and the gardens and the
1: pedigree. I feel your pain. I feel and your pain. I, and,
0: I, and, I, and, I, and I forgot. Um, And then I got a letter saying, you've forgotten. You know, it, it wasn't quite as short and sweet as that. But I thought, well, I'd better pay it because I don't, I don't want it to get, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't want to pay. I just forgot, blah, blah, blah. So I called up and I thought, I'm calling a contact centre here. Are they even going to be, am I going to be on hold for hours? Am I going to be, um, and they answered within minutes and the, the, the customer service um, agent on the other end was at home. Yeah. And they had enabled their contact center to go home. Uh, and it, it was so impressive. And, and clearly this was an organization that had realized that they still need to serve their customers for two reasons. One, customer satisfaction, but also if they don't, they're not going to get revenue but we have to keep our people safe and secure and enabled and they've just gone for it. And, and I ended up talking to her for a while. I could hear a kid in the background. Um, and, and they said, so yeah, they they just, they worked out what they needed to do. And they basically they sent the contact center home. Um, and I don't know who their suppliers are or anything like that, but it's those businesses versus the, the banks that I'm reading about where people have been on hold for 23 hours. Um, you know, how, how is that even possible in this day and age, you know, um, and I I again I won't name names, but it was a pretty well known bank. Um that you just like, well, it just shouldn't it shouldn't be shouldn't be possible if you really want to do it to get this wrong because there's technology yeah. like yours
1: out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean we, we do well, as I mentioned earlier, so we do quite a lot in financial services. So we've got a number of um high street banks, not but it not just the UK, um in Ireland in particular we do we do a lot in the financial services sector and we've actually been working on digital programs for a good period of time where the, the the core of them um, being quite high level about it has been about offering customers a a, offering customers choices to how they want to engage within their bank. There's a lot more to it than that. So I'm making it sound a hell of a lot more simple than it actually is. But the reality is that, um, for certain, you know, at certain times within certain departments, there are clearly going to be queues uh, when people are calling into the contact center. So I think what is, what, what we've done in working with them is just given customers an alternate way of engaging with their bank. And, I mean, we call it digital deflection. And it tends to be done more about, it's not about stopping people who need to speak to someone from coming through to a contact center. It's about giving choice to people who potentially could serve that inquiry in a different fashion. So whether that is someone who's in a queue that's quite busy receiving a text message along the lines of, did you know you could download the app and you could do this? And by this point, um, by the way, we the customer has gone through an IVR for a few options. So we kind of know roughly what they're talking about. It's not someone who's um, had their card defrauded or lost a card and need to speak to someone urgently to block it. It might be someone who's checking on the date of the next payment that's due, or um, they're looking for some information on a statement, which they could get within an online banking account or an online app. So it's it's really trying to drive them down that alternate route um, by offering an option. It might be a text message saying, did you know you can do this here? And a link to download the app and do things. But it's, uh, uh, it is, all about really trying to just say that um, that you can still speak to someone if you want, but actually this could be a better route for you that will be easier. You'll only get your inquiry served in this way, um, but the choice is yours. So I think from doing that, clearly a couple of the banks who are doing that with, they've had challenges due to unprecedented volumes as well in this time, but because I think the framework and infrastructure is there to, to deflect and give customers options where they don't necessarily need to speak to an agent. It's really helped them offer a a, a much better customer experience than maybe some of their competitors are being challenged with at these times because they, they've not put the infrastructure in place to kind of facilitate um, other ways in which customers can engage with them.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. Do you, do you think on a consumer level, trust is an issue? I, I don't want to speak to a robot. I, I personally I, I I am happy to never speak to another human being ever again if I don't have to, because I think if I'm having to reach that point something's gone drastically wrong. But that, that's just me. Do you get feedback yeah. from your customers around inclusivity is maybe a good way of doing it? Yeah.
1: I, I think I I think objections again less and less from our customers. So in that in that financial service, um example I gave there's actually there's no robot there it's more going down a path within the technology to get to a point where you may hit a substantial call queue and it's sending a text in real times uh, or similar it could be a push notification it could be via a messaging app just saying do you know this is an option and driving them to either an online account site download the the app or something such that so there's not a robot there but I think in general terms we send about a robot I, I we're getting less objection. I think, though, it, I think if you use chatbots in the right way and are very clear and honest and open about it, I think that will lessen ever more so. So what what we say to our customers and what people we're speaking with is, as long as you're clear that it is a bot and you don't, you're not giving the customer any false expectations that there's a human who's responding to the chat. I think people are more accepting because then they've got a and you give the choice of an opt-out if you're not getting the response you need from the chatbot, then as long as there's a path to enable a a consumer to speak to someone to fix the inquiry, if they don't get what they need from the bot, I think that's the key. And I think that is what will help the positive evolution of chatbots by the companies who do that in the right way. I think if you're forcing it, um, you're not setting an expectation that it is a bot and the customer thinks they uh, are speaking to a human. That's when the customer experience gets poor, and it's going to cause
0: issues. If you're open, honest, and transparent, people like it. Yeah. <laughs> amazing, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I know. Go figure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um. It's funny. It's uh. It, it, it the enablement that you can do through through technology now and the different things you can do is it's it's amazing. Are there any times when you you live and breathe, and that you're in it all the time. It? Are the times when you're just kind of looking at the tech stack that you've got, and maybe some of the stuff that you've put in uh, to a customer, and you go, "That's really, really cool." Like, do, you, do you ever get amazed by the, your, the things that you guys are doing yourself?
1: Yeah, I, I do because um, I, some of the customer, some of the customer solutions we work with. Um, it, They've been so complex when we've been, when we've been tasked as to actually how do we, how, how do we build and connect the solution to actually drive it in the way the customer wants. So, an example within a certain sector for a logistics client we work with. I mean, they, they were living, living and breathing the off the backdrop of, I don't know how many mergers and acquisitions over the years, but we're you know we're, we're talking. Several, and from that, each individual merger and acquisition had multiple different systems, sources, and components within their um, technology architecture estate. And we we built a program connecting all of those. Basically, what we what we were doing is pulling data from all of the different sources, orchestrating that data within the um, business rules engine, our sign business rules engine, and then basically making sense of it and ensuring that actually only only the real communication that needed to be sent out was being sent um, via the channel of preference to the customer. So, well, so I might have made it quite, sound quite simple there from my side in the background and the sheer level of data, and we're talking about millions and millions of um parcels on a daily basis and consignments at various different stages through the whole logistic process from picking, packing, warehousing, the initial shipping and that. But what was happening before that point is because all of the systems were so disconnected, there were so many messages and noise to people who didn't need to know certain things, whether that was a consignment uh, was at a stage that a customer really didn't need to know or they were having multiple deliveries, albeit from different retailers, but by the same carrier on the same day. And they were getting multiple messages, which was leading then to calls from customers about well, what's going on here. I've got three messages. So actually what it was doing aside from the sheer weight of data and the level of information being sent there was so much irrelevant noise within there that actually it was causing a real, you know, customer engagement challenge in that, people would be confused at times as to what was happening, but from orchestrating it all together, the key thing it's done is it's given a lot more clarity. It's led to a lot less missed deliveries, or if someone's not in the ability to, you know, quite fluidly get their neighbor to sign for it. And actually it sounds something quite simple, but the cost per journey for a missed delivery, um, an individual missed delivery is enough in its own right to cause a challenge. And, if you look at it, hundreds or thousands on a daily basis, and then the impact of having to re deliver there, there's a massive significant cost. So actually, whilst I make it sound easy, the the real challenge in the background when we're faced with it was um substantial, to say the least.
0: But I think that's the beauty of it, is the fact that you can make it sound so simple. So that so the person on the other end knows exactly what's happening. Um that you do the heavy lifting, you you you're doing the complex bit and and your your partners or your customers all they need to know is your your customers you're the end recipient of the past will have a much better experience therefore more likely to rebook things and reuse you And you know, it's the, the the art of making something simple is, is often lost because i think some people and organizations actually quite like sounding complex and complicated and taking people down routes that they don't ever understand whereas most people keep it keep it simple so i understand it and i'm more likely to buy it
1: I think as well, if uh, something sounds complex, then often expensive is attributed to it. So it's almost, if, if I can make this sound a lot more difficult than it is, then I can charge a lot more. Mm-hmm. But then you're actually getting away from what, what the real challenge is here. Um, and it, it, it's about simplifying it, simplifying it both for your own systems and the end customer in your own point. And naturally, I think if you do that um, and deliver a good service, then often the the value you drive there enables you to drive and grow with the customer to gain more value across other areas of their business rather than thinking initially, well, I'll make this sound really complex and expensive as well, and I'll try and deploy it. But then it's almost that the customer might look at, well, what is the true value? And without actually knowing or having deployed that at that point, they're put off by a price rather than ultimately what problem you're looking to solve for them
0: yeah really good point yeah it's, it's a really good point actually I think more 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 businesses are inclined to, to pay pay more money to simplify something than get something sort of overly complicated these days as well so I do think there's some reasonably sized tech vendors out there who are missing the mark um, that's just my my humble thoughts yeah um, can smaller businesses use your type of solution? Like, clearly, some of the stuff we've talked about you know, across thousands of deliveries and stuff like that is that's not every business. Not every business has thousands of transactions a day. But I've often thought that where the bigger brands lead, the, the mass population will follow and improve and, and they're the ones that actually end up driving the true evolution. Have you you seen any of that in in the sectors you're working with and and through your solutions?
1: Yeah, I think just to go to your first point about can smaller organisations use our technology, the simple answer would be yes, they can. I mean, our core focus tends to be enterprise. So, you know, if we were looking at a key ideal target customer, it would be an enterprise sector. Not least because there's often, because of the sheer size and scale of those organizations, there's more challenges and problems that they're trying to sell, solve. So naturally, our, I think our tech and the value our tech provides um, clearly fits well into that. However, ultimately, you know, it, it, it is technology, and if a much smaller firm has a problem they're looking to solve, then our tech can absolutely still work for them. Um, but it's, it's certainly not just open to enterprise customers for any means, uh, sorry, by any means.
0: It's, it, it, to your point is, is don't look at the cost. Look at, look at the, look at the value, look at the return.
1: And, and, yeah. Uh,
0: solve, solve your own problems and improve your own business. And don't worry about what other people are doing, um, beyond getting some ideas and influence.
1: Yeah. I- Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it, it is most definitely on that because I think, you know, at times people get too caught up in what does something cost rather than, well, what value is it going to give me or what saving is it going to give me? Um, it's, you know, it, it's more than just actual a physical cost, really. It's, it, it's all down to what the value is. And I mean, more often than not, what the value is depends on how big the problem is for the organization. Yeah, because true. The same solution could offer 10 times better value for one customer than another. If they've got a much greater problem than, uh, you know, maybe a competitor or another client. So it, it all links back to that.
0: It's a really good point.
1: It's uh, don't, don't worry about
0: what the other guy's doing. <laughs> fix your own house. Exactly. Um, uh, exactly. Yeah, keeping up with the Joneses is, uh, you're, you're seeing it now, right? So, so I'm i am starting to get, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, the amount of remote working, homeworking, COVID survival stuff that is now on LinkedIn and social has reached a point where I think a lot of people just are turning a blind eye to it. Um, don't get me wrong, the good stuff still cuts through and the people who add value talk through and who know the audience are, are, are doing stuff. But if, if I see another post about um, seven, seven tips to work more effectively from home, I'd say, well, your seven tips were different to those other seven tips and those other seven tips. So actually I've now got 28 tips from working from home. Um, I, I guess I'm what I'm trying to get at is what's next for you guys in terms of driving forwards coming out the other side the big bounce that we're all hoping for um the bounce back again don't don't give away any commercial sensitivity but have have, has it been a, a a tough time for you guys have you got good stuff happening new features coming through trying to give people a sense of what what they can expect to see from you guys in the next six
1: 12 months yeah so i think i think there's new challenges for any organization um You know, uh, I mentioned earlier, we do a lot in retail and uh, we work with one of the one of the um, one of the main five traditional supermarkets. So we've worked with them for a number of years, provided a lot of different solutions. And I know there's been quite a bit of um, information out in the press about the assumption from the public that all the supermarkets are thriving and they're probably making and taking more money than they ever have because you can't, you can't get a delivery or more often than not um, get a click and collect slot for love nor money because just the sheer unprecedented demand, they just don't have the supply to make that demands irrespective of the fact that they might have mobilized four times the amount of deliveries that they previously had and maybe doubled their click and collect slots. There's still just not sufficient supply to, to make those demands. And I know there's been, Stories around, well, customers must think we've, we've made more money than ever, but actually they've had to have totally change their infrastructure uh, to, to try and accommodate the new change in working environment, both from a online and a delivery process, but also then within the physical stores. So there's clearly been a drop-off within the physical stores. Um, you, you might not think that while you're queuing, waiting to get in, but clearly they might only have one-fifth or one-tenth of the actual physical people within a shop and even then within the shop, they've had to do things differently and have the social distancing and put up screens and cost invested at that point. Um, So whilst they've probably taken more money than they have done outside of pig trading for a long period of time, there's been a cost to build the infrastructure to do that. But I think what we've found is there's, there's probably been... There's been more haste in some of the projects that we've been discussing with some key clients, those who are impacted in a positive way in terms of it's driven more custom for them. There's been more haste in some of the projects that maybe weren't scheduled until later this year, but actually their priority has been bumped up massively because um, transforming or evolving a digital component within their customer engagement process was more essential than ever because it needed support or supplement. Their traditional customer contact channels or mechanisms. So we, we've we've found that during the lockdown phase and the, the changing working ways at the moment. I think off the back of it, um, there will be different challenges. I think clearly, even for those sectors that are thriving or doing well, you know, I think there'll be a. A more prolonged budget approval process. I think people will be more careful in spending their money. I think that surely there is, um, I I think, most organisations, probably most sectors, are worried about what happens when the, what sounds like an inevitable second wave happens from previous pandemics. It seems to be something that always does happen. So I I think there might be reluctance to, sign off or spend for some organizations uh, in the coming months once the lockdown gets eased further um, just for fear of what would a second wave mean for them economically and how would they handle that so I do think we'll have challenges there I think certain things we've looked to do to put into place is because components of our overall mix and the way we make money is a transactional channel message such as a text message or maybe some Voice minutes from calls into some of our IVR. We've actually we've had a good two or three months because we've been supporting our customers in their changing needs. So actually, we've not felt the short-term impact. If anything, there might have been a slight positive. I think we'll we will face challenges. I think like most organisations, but I believe you know the the strength and value our tech provides will leave us well positioned to thrive post-COVID. There'll be difficult periods for certain. And there'll be certain things that take longer to maybe close a a deal or an opportunity than what what it would have taken in the past. But I think looking at the learnings from technology we've mobilised during the lockdown and things we believe organisations both within our key verticals and maybe some new sectors that clearly are a booming sector off the back of COVID-19, I think we will probably change some focus there. Maybe we have a new kind of core sector we're focusing on because we believe that they will be quite cash rich and that their sector as a whole will benefit from what's happened here because they provide either a product or a service that actually has become more essential than ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Great stuff. All right. Well, appreciate your time, Simon. Um, no, uh,
1: pleasure, take care, take care yeah, buddy. All right. you too. All Bye. the best. Cheers.